0: All familiar with the well worn school phrase, the three R's reading, writing, and arithmetic. But times are changing. You may not know that the new education model today easily could read reading, writing, and statistics. Young people spend so much time with new technology, the social media, internet, iPhones, tablets, and much more. And that's one reason many people think it's critical for students to begin learning the importance of evaluating the data and statistics that are so much a part of their world. I'm Bob Long. We welcome you to Stats and Stories. It's a program where we look at the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. And our focus today is on why we all should be concerned about data analysis. Before we talk with our special guest, Stats & Stories reporter Bethany Miller tells us how statistics is now a part of the new Common Core standards for students in grades K-12. through
1: When you think of classes you took in middle school and high school, you probably think of science, math, English, and social studies. But schools now have new Common Core standards that provide learning goals to prepare students for the future. One of those standards is an emphasis on statistics for middle school and high school students. Education director for the American Statistical Association, Rebecca Nichols, says that it's important because we live in a data-driven society.
2: So ASA is pleased that there's a focus on statistics, especially at the middle and the high school levels in the Common Core State Standards, because statistical literacy is really needed by all to make informed decisions based on data, both in our professional and our personal lives.
1: Nichols says it's important for students to learn how to make decisions based on data through the statistical problem-solving process. She says they also learn how to be critical consumers of statistics. Statisticians working with data have a huge impact on the world, and the job outlook for them is
2: good. So we're hoping that students are familiar with data, what to do with it, and the
1: impacts of it. Nichols believes many people don't realize the impact statistics can have on them. She says the information you share and post on Facebook or Twitter is being collected by internet and social media sites.
2: Sites should have data use and privacy policies that people can find and hopefully they're following ethical guidelines but they should have these data use and privacy policies so people can go and proactively figure out what data is being collected, what they're doing with it, and then people should be empowered to know whether or not they want to share that data with these sites by using the site. And there are even some apps out there that can help people figure out what data is being collected about themselves.
1: Miami University graduate Lisa Wierwinski now teaches probability and statistics at Glen Esty High School near Cincinnati. She learned about the information collected on her through her students.
2: One time I thought they were working on a project and I walked around and they were Googling me because they wanted to know how old I was. I thought it was hilarious, but who knows what else they're doing when they're at home.
1: Orwinski emphasizes to her students the importance of not being fooled by statistics and to think twice about what they post.
2: I think high school students overall have a false sense of security regarding the internet. They don't know that data is collected almost every time that they use the internet. And the dangerous thing is that statisticians can
1: manipulate data to say almost anything we want it to. And if our audience is not smart enough to catch on, then we've won. She says the post students share could be used against them when it comes to college applications and scholarships. Rowinski also likes to use real-life data when teaching her students.
2: The textbook examples just don't draw students in. In And real-life, data is is not perfect, and so I want them to see that. I try and make it applicable to them and make it fun. I hope they look back at my class and think, you know what, I enjoyed that. I may have hated math all through high school, but there was something about this Winsky's statistics class that I kind of like.
1: Lisa Verwinsky says she's trying to change the culture of statistics from something that seems mundane and uninteresting to something they can use in their daily lives. For Stats and Stories, I'm Bethany Miller.
0: Thank you, Bethany. Well, joining me on Stats and Stories for our discussion of reading, writing, and statistics, Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor and Media, Journalism, and Film Chair Richard Campbell. And our very special guest today is Chris Franklin. She is an honors professor and undergraduate coordinator in statistics at the University of Georgia. And she's here to talk with us about the statistical concepts, why that's so important for all of us if we want to be numerate citizens. And I know, Chris, you helped the American Statistical Association write. The framework for the statistic strand that's in the new National mm-hmm. Common Core uh, State Standards for K through 12. Why is that so vital today?
3: Well, I think Rebecca has answered that question well from the ASA. I mean, we're in a data-centric society. Uh, we're constantly generating our own data. Uh, every day we're surrounded by media pieces containing data. Uh, we go to the doctor and we get the results of a diagnostic test. And it's like, what are the important questions that we need to ask in terms of how to make an informed decision about a future you know, future procedure that we might need? Um, you know, it's interesting. I've been teaching for 35 years at the college level. I've been teaching the intro course um many other statistics courses. And every year I ask myself the question, why is it that I have 15 weeks in a semester to take a student and turn them into a statistically literate citizen. In other words, statistical reasoning, statistical thinking is very different from mathematical thinking. And I often look at my math colleagues and ask them, how would you feel if you had a student come into your calculus class who's never had any mathematics before and you're expected to help them understand calculus in 15 weeks? They've had 13 years before they come to this university to develop mathematical thinking. And it's the same with statistical thinking. This is not something that citizens, that students can develop overnight. It needs to be a developmental process, and it needs to start in kindergarten.
4: John Baylor. Uh, great answer. <laughs> and, you know, and, and welcome, Chris. We're delighted Thank you. that you could join us. Uh, you know, one, with the Common Core, there's a, there's a mm-hmm. question. There's been a lot of pushback. There's been a lot mm-hmm. of discussion now. What? Why is? What is it that the Common Core was hoping to achieve?
3: Well, I think the main intent of Common Core uh, was, as they say, to develop a mathematics curriculum that's somewhat uniform across the united states that's going to prepare our high school graduates for college and for the workplace Um, in the past as you well know the united states has been one of the few countries that has not had national standards in other words each state has their own particular math standards and um, Of course, there was no consistency from one state to the next in terms of what was contained in those mass standards. So I think that's one issue that you were trying to deal with by having the Common Core standards. I think also with the fact that our society now is so mobile in the United States. Families are moving from one state to the next, and that becomes a real issue with their children in K-12 through as they're now coming into the schools, especially high schools, and you're trying to figure out where do these students fall in terms of their math background. So I think all of these led to um, the initiation of trying to have the Common Core Standards. Actually, the Common Core standards were initiated uh, by the governors of the states in the United States. This was actually a state movement by the government, uh, by the governors to try to come up with standards that are more uniform and that would prepare their students for the workplace and for college.
5: Richard Gamble. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Thank Miami. Thank you. Um, I want to see if you can kind of draw a connection to the Common Core and something that we've seen for a long time mm-hmm. and you, you're you familiar with this. So I do a lot of orientation of our incoming mm-hmm. freshman students and mm-hmm. When I encourage our journalism students to take statistics, uh, a couple of our majors are required to take mm-hmm. statistics classes, I often see a frown.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> and uh, a I lot... see that
3: a lot, too, on my first day of class.
5: <laughs> so, uh, and I do, you know, as somebody who's been a journalist and been a writer, you know, I see in some students the same kind of fear of writing. But this sort of fear of numbers and statistics um, What what can we do about that? Mm -hmm. And how much is this related to uh, to to training at at an earlier level in schools?
3: Oh, that's a that's a loaded question. (laughs) I think part of the issue with, with mathematics in general, I, and I'm going to say the mathematical sciences, because, uh, you know, statistics is not mathematics. And that's one of the things that I try to help my students the very first day of my classes understand. They, they generally come into class thinking, I'm taking a math class. Mm-hmm. And without fail, the majority of the students don't really want to be there. They're there because it's required by their major. And they're they're afraid, they're worried. I've never been very good at mathematics. Um, I may be going out on a limb by saying this, but I think a lot of that happens because so many of our teachers at K-12 through are not comfortable with mathematics. And watching it with my own children as they've come through, I've always been amazed that in our society, It seems to be okay to say that you don't like mathematics. You know, as a teacher, you know, as as a parent, you we tell our children, you know, that was always one of my least subjects, least favorite subjects in school. But I never see teachers saying that reading and writing is not a priority. And I've often wondered how we came to this culture that it's okay not to like mathematics when it's really a beautiful beautiful subject. And um, so I think a lot of that just comes from the way our culture, what, what our culture accepts. And, um, but one of the things I try to do in my classes is help students understand, well, it's okay that you feel uncomfortable with mathematics, because this is not a math class. And actually, what you're going to be doing in my class is you're going to be writing a lot Because with statistical thinking and with statistical reasoning, what's so important are your communication skills and how you can convey the information that you obtained from carrying out the statistical analysis. Uh, And I think it's really important, too, that you make it real world to the students. I try to teach my classes based more on case studies and bringing in current media pieces that we discuss. And students really gravitate to that. It's uh, I I, and I think we need to actually think about our math classes more in that way as well. I'm I'm not a math teacher, <laughs> so I'm not trying to tell mathematicians what to do, but we the context is very important and making it real world for the students.
0: I know a lot of people might have been surprised because right at the beginning you mentioned all the way down to mm-hmm. kindergarten. Right. Why? How do how do we go about? What What are some of the things we can do at those elementary level when kids? To me, they're just an open book. They want to learn. But what what kind of things can we do? For,
3: elementary for, for, like, is like the ideal place to yeah. start this. I mean, they're sponges at the elementary level. And, you know, even in kindergarten, you're trying to convey those counting skills with students. And one thing that we've learned is that Elementary children love to take surveys. They love to take surveys on each other and discover things about each other. So it's really kind of that natural environment to introduce them to the whole whole idea of, well, what kind of question would we like to answer about our classroom that's gonna require us to collect data? Then talk about how are we gonna collect this data, actually have them do it. Now, how do we summarize this data? Get them into picture graphs, get them into bar graphs, get them into counting, tallying. The mathematical skills are so natural with carrying out that statistical process and helping students understand that statistics is important because it helps us to answer questions that mathematics cannot answer.
0: You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we are talking about reading, writing, and statistics, which again is part of the new emphasis in our Common Core Standards for nationally for our, our K-12 through 12 kids. Our emphasis is on looking at the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics with our show. I'm Bob Long, and again, our regular panelists are Miami University Statistics Department Chair John Baylor, Media Journalism and Film Chair Richard Campbell, and our special guest today from the University of Georgia, Chris Franklin. John Baylor, we'll go to you for the next question.
4: Well, quick follow-up on, on just the mm-hmm. Common Core discussion before we talk a little bit more about, about data and okay. stu- that students are generating. You, you talked a little bit about the, the importance of the, the statistics course that's mm-hmm. so, that they see in the university not mm-hmm. being their first exposure mm-hmm. to statistical thinking. Given that the, the Common Core is now is re- requiring mm-hmm. that, that the students be exposed to these ideas in middle school and high school, what... What, what's this going to look like? I mean, so, so what is the additional statistical ideas that students will meet in middle school and high school? Mm-hmm. And a follow-up question after, after you, you tackle that would <laughs> be to, to think about what's, what's then ultimately the consequence mm-hmm. of this for, for these students as they go to college and for us thinking about teaching them in college?
3: Well, hopefully by the time our students graduate from high school, they will have been exposed to the topics and the concepts that Compose at least about half or three-fourths of our current college intro courses. Uh, If you look at the standards that are in middle school and high school, most college intro professors will say, well, that's what I'm teaching in my college intro class right now. And... um, And hopefully by going through grades 6 through 12, and, and we also hope that we can start this at elementary as well, the students have had that opportunity to truly conceptualize and evolve with these statistical concepts, which is what's crucial. And so by the time that they do get to college, they're now going into maybe what we're traditionally calling our second course now. And so they're getting further exposure. And, of course, the big buzzword now is data science. And uh, with the technology um, available to us now, you know, our college students on a very common basis can be exposed to messy data sets and how to really deal with real-world data. I think as we heard from our high school teacher earlier, you know, it's very nice to have those clean data sets in a textbook that our students work with, but that's really not real world. Real world is that we have these massive data sets out there, and they're messy, and they're not clean, and just learning database management skills, for example, programming skills that will help them become better statisticians uh that's my dream of what's going to happen here at the college level is they'll get that foundation in statistical literacy at k through 12 that we're now trying to give them with an intro course at the college level
0: betcher campbell you
5: mentioned earlier uh, the writing that mm-hmm. uh, that's statisticians do and mm-hmm. statistical that's needed in sort of statistical mm-hmm. understanding. One of my obligations in running a journalism program is so much so much of the sort of general public knowledge about numbers mm-hmm. comes through journalists. Mm-hmm. And I want you to talk a little bit about uh, the errors you see that journalists make uh, because many of them aren't trained the way mm-hmm. they need to be in, mm-hmm. in statistical methodology.
3: It's interesting how I get a lot of journalism majors at the University of Georgia. And they, the first day of class, they always say, I don't have any idea why I'm in this class. And I let them know by the end of class, they will understand. <laughs> and that is because of the role that they pay, they play with. They are the ones responsible for presenting statistical information to the majority of our Americans mm-hmm. in, in the media. I would say if there's one thing I had to identify that is the most common misleading thing that a journalist can do with their writing is the whole idea that studies always have cause and effect conclusions. And that is with the way they give their headlines in the articles, the headlines come across as this this uh, causes this. And most more often than not, the study is actually an observational study and not an experimental mm-hmm. study where you can't make cause and effect right. conclusions. And as with the attention span of most Americans now, uh, so many Americans never get past the headline (laughs) to read the actual article. I'm guilty of that. I have to confess. You know, I read the headline and I move on. So I think that's one thing. The other thing that I often see is they just don't give enough statistical information in the article to where, as a consumer of this information, you can make informed decisions. You can ask good questions about the design of the study. Um, uh, So so I would say that's what's really important in terms of writing, is that a journalist is comfortable enough with those foundational statistical skills that they can write the pieces to where as a consumer I have enough information to make an informed decision so
4: can I follow up with this sure just, just if, if you're gonna be writing something like this and you have in page mm-hmm. space is limited mm-hmm. and you're saying that that you're tempted to, to stop at the, the headline mm-hmm. as well do you think that there might be resistance to reading some of those details that you that that you're suggesting be be built in
3: well I think if we have a statistically literate population, (laughs) for example, when you see Gallup polls reported, when Gallup comes out, they give you the descriptive numbers, but then they also give you a short write-up about how they sampled, Mm -hmm. what their margin of error will be for their particular statistics, and it's like a one paragraph. Now, if you are comfortable with the term margin of error and how to interpret that, as a statistically literate population, the, the journalist has done their job. Mm-hmm.
4: So, so part of this is that there's going to be a, cha- a an anticipated change of expectation mm-hmm. that might be
5: linked
3: to That's having correct. the
5: Common Core in play.
3: If that people is really correct. are that
5: statistical literacy achieved.
3: That is correct.
5: And some newspapers are Good about this. New York Times will often print that box mm-hmm. in the printed version. That's correct. I think one of the things that we're seeing that's actually helping journalism is the move to online stories that's where correct. we don't have space limitations or time limitations. There's correct. a lot more interesting stuff online, particularly in terms of, you know, data visualization and a lot of the things that are there that you, in the old days, you couldn't fit into a newspaper?
3: Well, I think this is also something that I, I've been very happy to see, especially with newspapers like the New York Times in recent years, is how the journalists in the newspapers are going to more data visualization in their articles with graphical displays, as, as opposed to trying to rely more on the text and uh, just terminology. Um, Another thing I like to tell my students is that a picture is worth a thousand words. And that's really true in terms of reporting statistical information. I, I say that when I pick up a newspaper, I love it when I see a graph that tells me the story without having to read the article. Mm-hmm. And, and that is something that a journalist needs to become very comfortable with, is, is choosing the appropriate graphical display to tell the story. That's
5: a, that's a funny, uh, it reminds me of a funny story that happened when John and I team taught a, mm-hmm. a course called News and Numbers and mm-hmm. the f- first day of class, and I was a little uncomfortable because my statistical understanding is not what mm-hmm. it should be. And uh, John put up a display on he he put mm-hmm. up a chart and and uh, looked at the class and said, "What's the story here?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "I'm going to be okay." Yes, <laughs> I know what story is about <laughs> it. Right. he's talking about that. This picture should should that's, represent that's a exactly thousand right. Words. Yes,
3: that is it. And that is what our middle school students are starting to learn in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade is how to explore data and how to show the visualization of distributions and summarizing data.
4: Well, you know, and you'll hear people say that it's it's easy to lie with statistics, mm-hmm. but I think you've also heard other people say it's it's a lot easier to lie without it. You know, right. it's a, it's a <laughs> I, th- I think that's a beautiful saying. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, and I, I think that that if, if this is successful, I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're you sense you're coming in a, another context of being a healthy skeptic mm-hmm. right. as being a success, if successfully achieving statistical literacy is that healthy skepticism of information that's being presented.
3: That That is very key and, and I've mentioned this before, I always tell my students that I have two main goals when I teach my courses. Any course that I teach, this is not just the intro course, the, these are the more advanced statistics courses as well, is that I want them to truly understand the beauty of statistics. But at the same time, they have to become a healthy skeptic and they have to know the right questions to ask.
0: You're listening to Stats and Stories, and again, we're focusing today on the importance of statistics and, and teaching our children at a much younger age uh, about the importance of statistics so we come, become a much more literate society. I'm Bob Long. Our special, uh, our regular guest, I should say, our Miami University Statistics Department Chair, John Baylor, our media journalism and film chair, Richard Campbell, and special guest today, Chris Franklin, an honors professor and undergraduate coordinator in statistics at the University of Georgia. We wanted to see what people know about our topic, so we asked them, what kind of data do you think you generate on the internet or on social media?
2: I'm not on Facebook as much as I used to be um, because honestly it bothered me that
3: when I started putting in what, what musicians I listened to a lot of the things that Facebook prompts you to fill out with your profile I started getting concert tickets I saw a direct relation to the things that I was filling in and the types of ads I was being served.
1: Recently I've heard an interview on the radio specifically on this and I didn't realize what they collect. I'm a little more aware my Facebook, my tweets, my Googles, everything's changing.
2: When I'm on Facebook, I think the data they're collecting are the um, the organizations that I like and the communities that I like.
1: A lot of the stuff that I share on Facebook has to, is like related to movies or current events and a lot of uh, really just dumb, funny stuff, I guess.
0: We also ask people to tell us how they think the data that they generate each day is used by others.
2: They use it for marketing in order to target people for products associated with the different um communities that they like for example the german shepherd dog community i get a lot of marketing emails regarding products that are associated with pets
1: probably using it to advertise to us and like learn what the youth finds i guess appealing so they can try to break through to the younger generations
2: and i know google collects a lot of data on your
3: surfing habits and uses that to generate profiles and serve up ads but again like i said i use adblock a lot um for that reason
1: they are spying on us they're watching what we buy what we take photos of where we vacation where we go to dinner where we shop and that frightens me
0: out there in that great ether what happens to all that information is that something else that you're really trying to get college level students mm-hmm. to to understand?
3: It is. Uh, I, it, it's almost like when you mention it to students, they're just they're taken aback. They've never really thought about that. Um, and so I do try to help them understand that you are generating massive amounts of data and it's all being stored. Now how it's being used, you may not know. <laughs> now fortunately there are apps now, things of this sort, that will help people, if they want to make the effort, realize how their data is being used. Um, I think that this is a wonderful way to bring up questions of ethics in terms of data collection. And so, it, once again, we're able to start talking about topics now that I think in the past we never even began to talk about, you know, with with statistics. And I think ethics is one of them.
0: You know, I think Bethany Miller's report that she did mm-hmm. earlier uh, in the program kind of touched on mm-hmm. that, the fact that There are places you can go to find out that information. Mm -hmm. And is that something you think that that most people, not just college students, but, I mean, people in general are unaware?
3: I think so. I think most people are unaware of that. And I think even if they are aware of it, I'm not sure how many people make the effort to actually go find out.
0: (laughs) To go find out, right. Mm -hmm. John Baylor. Yeah, I think it's
4: interesting that, that you're mentioning the, the idea of ethics. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure that, that that's almost a shock to the system for some mm-hmm. of the students that mm-hmm. are in a class like this because they're, they're expecting more manipulation and procedure. Mm-hmm. And you, it's, it sounds like what you'd push for, and actually we, we do as well, right. is, is, is deeper understanding that and thinking correct. about this and also appropriate use of mm-hmm. the tools that you're using to explore. That is correct. What, what are some of the, the – if, if you were going to describe someone, if you are successful and mm-hmm. you've, you've helped someone become statistically literate, what would they look like as a citizen? I, mean, I, th- I know that's a huge question. but
3: Well, I think one of the ways, maybe I'll just give you an example of how I feel like maybe I've been successful with teaching my students is it's amazing how many emails I receive from my previous students, six weeks, six months, a year, five years out, where they send me, I saw this interesting story. I want you to look at this. Look at this misleading graph. I thought this was something that you could use in your book. Or I'm really disturbed by the way this study was written up. And to me, that's, that's my goal. Yeah. It's, it's when I hear back from my former students way into the future, and I know that they are reading those, the, that statistical information with a critical eye. That's what I call a statistically literate student.
0: <sighs> oh, I like that. Richard Campbell.
5: Following up on that, what, what do you think are obstacles to the stati- statistical literacy movement? What are, what's, what's blocking that? I know you'd like to see this extended mm-hmm. to elementary mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. I mean, John and I worked on a, mm-hmm. a quantitative literacy requirement mm-hmm. here in Miami. And, and frankly, it probably should have been in place many years mm-hmm. earlier.
3: Well, I think there's there's a couple of big obstacles that I'll, I'll just mention. There's many, of course, many obstacles with any kind of new movement. Um, I think part of it is um, as parents. Let me talk from a parent perspective. Um, and this, I think, applies to the whole new math movement, is that parents are seeing their children coming home with homework that they didn't have when they were students and statistics of course is one of them that's totally new for a lot of these parents because many of them have never actually had a formal statistics course and so I don't know how to help my child with this, and this is not something that I had when I was in K through 12. And so I think it's just that uncertainty as a parent. It always bothered me when I couldn't help my children with certain homework. Now, fortunately, math, I could, but Mm -hmm. there were certain areas that I couldn't. Uh, So I think that, but I think an even bigger obstacle right now an unintentional obstacle is that our teachers are struggling to know how to teach this material. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our K-12 through teachers uh, have not come through at a time in their teacher preparation program where statistics was part of the training that they received as math teachers. It was focused mostly on the mathematical concepts. Mm-hmm. And so now we have these new standards and we have teachers that have never actually had formal training in teaching statistics. And if they did have a statistics course, it might have been more of the old style, what I like to call the plug and chug, which mm-hmm. was before the age of the technology, where technology has allowed us to teach more conceptual courses and more case study-based courses. So I, th- I think those are two potential obstacles to this.
0: John Baylor, time for one final question here. Okay, Chris, if you
4: had a magic wand that you could wave okay. and make changes, make a change. You can mm-hmm. only use it for one change. Okay, <laughs> one, one change to the teaching of introduction, introductory statistics, mm-hmm. and you can pick the level. Okay. So what, what would it be?
3: Oh, if I could change one thing. Oh, that's tough, because <laughs> there's so many I want to change.
4: Well, we'll give you an extra wizard to it. Okay. <laughs>
3: If I could just magically help everyone that teaches introductory statistics feel comfortable with using technology to where they can teach a more conceptually based course and a more what I call a statistical literacy course. Um, And that is understand how to use simulation. Understand how to use technology to emphasize visual displays with our students, not so much let's just rely on numerical summaries, for example. Uh, understand the importance of talking about that statistical process of how Don't teach your course as just a set of disjointed topics, but just try to give the big picture to your students that we're trying to answer a question. We need to think about how to collect the data, how to analyze it, how to connect our conclusion back to that question. That's big because that's not the way most people have been trained Mm -hmm. to teach statistics. And I think if, we, if I can wave a wand, if, I could, if we could just accomplish that with everyone that is at being asked to teach statistics, that would be big. But then you're asking people to change the way they learned. So it, it's, it's going to be a big goal.
0: Chris Franklin, thank you very much for joining us on Stats and Stories to give us your insights on the importance of uh, learning to analyze data. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, you can also send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu. Be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where, as always, we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.